G'day and welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. I am your host, Jacob Andre, and today I'm talking to Lisi Kika. So if you'd like to know more about how to build a profitable boutique fitness studio and get your freedom back, stay tuned. G'day and welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. I am your host, Jacob Andre, and this is the episode Prelude. I am really excited to introduce you to you today, today's uh, guest, and that is Lisi Kika. Now, I have Lisi, by the way, not to be confused with Lisa. So because Lisi is such an uncommon name, uh, she often is happy to go along with Lisa. And on a lot of her stuff, she actually refers to herself as Lisa. But just so that we're clear, right from the beginning, we're gonna address the elephant in the room. Is it Lisa or Lisi? It is Lisi, L-I-S-E. I think there's a little posture up above. Um, so I'm really excited about this episode because I have known Lisi and her husband, Dan, since 2015. I decided in 2014 to resign from my full-time teaching job, teaching here, actually at the time I was teaching child studies and psychology. And I decided I wanted to get into the online business. I had been doing fitness coaching and stuff like that, um, strength and conditioning with athletes and sporting teams. I've been doing personal training, I've been doing group fitness, boot camps, all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to get more into the online world. I wanted to learn it. So at the start of 2015, actually, I tried to practice some manifestation. And I said to myself, because I'd resigned in mid-2014 and in 2015 was then going to work for myself. And throughout that year, I did actually create and um, start to build up a business called Darwin Academy of Sport with a, another guy that I knew. But I wanted to get into the online world. And so I said at the start of 2015 that I was going to give an opportunity to travel to the US for business. It was going to be um, uh, a paid trip to the US. Anyway, long story short, I ended up getting an opportunity to go to the US. The workshop that I went to was actually free through a link I signed up for, an, for another business coaching course. And I had to pay for the flight. So the manifestation thing, uh, I think it worked out in terms of getting the free workshop, which was a three day workshop and seriously transformational. Um, but I had to pay a little bit. I actually borrowed money from grandparents in order to get there and then paid them back. Um, but Lisi was at this workshop, this three-day workshop in Southern California in a town or city uh, called Laguna Beach. Dan came along for a holiday and it was good to meet him and get to know him. I remember going out for my first ever chimichangas. It was one of the things I wanted to do in Southern California. I was to have chimichangas and I had chimichangas with them. They really took me under their wing and looked after me. And I've had a relationship with them ever since. And I'm so grateful for that relationship because not only are they both phenomenal people, they are just so welcoming and supportive and friendly and caring. And so they took me under their wing, they looked after me while I was there on the other side of the world and they continued to for years to come. In fact, I remember having a conversation with Lisa late one night here in Australia, it was a Friday night and I was doing something online and she said to me, you need to figure out what um, your clients um, main, main challenges with health and fitness. So she said, ask them what their biggest challenges with health and fitness. And I remember going away and, um, and asking about that and finding that people were saying the biggest challenge with, um, with health and fitness was staying on track. And I was like, yes, I've got the answer. It's all about staying on track. If I can just teach people how to stay on track, that sounds like psychology. I had a background in both sports science, teaching and psychology. That sounds right up my alley. Um, and maybe that was why people were already being attracted to me with my online stuff, the blogs that I was putting out. 
And I went back to her and I said, I got the answer. It's staying on track. And she said to me, Jacob, that's great, but you've got a Henry Ford answer. And I was too embarrassed to actually say, what the heck is a Henry Ford answer? So I went away and Googled it. And I found out, and also through later speaking to Lisa, that the Henry Ford answer was that um, if Henry Ford just asked everyone what they wanted at, back in the day, they would have just said faster and more efficient horse and carts. So she said, Jake, you need to be the innovator here, the business person, the innovator, and the, um, the experimenter, the, um, uh, you know, put that cap on and create something. And so she said, if what Henry Ford was, did was he was this innovator and this inventor, that was the word I was looking for, and he created the car. So what is your car? And so through that, I then create, I then went back. She said, go back to them and say, where would you need to be in three to four months time in order for you to feel like you'd stayed on track with your health and fitness goals? Crazy enough, it was people came back and said, lose 10 kilos or be 10 kilos lighter from what they currently were. And what the crazy thing was, was even the, my North American audience said the same thing. It was... Um, they were typically saying around 25, 30 pounds, which roughly equates to 11 kilos or so. And so I thought, okay, this is across the Western world here um, between Australia, US, but it was also UK, Canada, New Zealand. And they were saying the same thing. So I thought there's something in this. And that was really the beginnings of my relationship with Lisa as a mentor to me. Um, and so much more than just becoming a friend, a colleague and acquaintance. And and that relationship went to a whole nother level. She, uh, I went through and did her, she started her um, first program called the Client Cure. I went through that, I went through the beta program of that. I then did it uh, as a paying client. I went through her revenue remedy program. I've done all that stuff. And then most recently uh, as a client of her in, um, freedom intensive coaching package where I've had my own personal business coach, which is Mikan and Mike will be on the show very soon, next week, in fact. And Mike is her probably head coach of her coaching and consulting group. Um, I'm actually doing some marketing stuff too with Nathan from um, Studio Grow, which is her overarching company that fits, uh, that oversees these programs, Revenue Remedy and the Client Cure. And um, it's just been getting to know Lisa and Dan and being a part of their programs and their courses and their coaching for me has been transformational. Not only has it created a, it's grown my business, it's created a profitable business, one where I've actually started paying myself and I'm able to pay all of my expenses and I'm able to start outsourcing through all of that. And then from there, be able to get my life back, essentially get freedom back in my life so that I can live my life my way. And there's been a whole bunch of series of steps where that has been possible, but it's all been possible because of symptom, systems which have been implemented. And so I'm so, so excited about this episode and getting into it. I've listened back to this episode several times now because there's just so much information in there that even as I was interviewing Lisa, I couldn't take in because there was just so much gold in there. So some of the stuff that we do go through First thing, why it's important to shift from pivot mode, which so many people are in, into building mode due to COVID. So pivoting, yes, initially, but we're so far beyond that now that we should now be in building mode and why that's important. How she turned studios that were losing 
over $10,000 a month into multi-million dollar studios in just nine months. How seeing a reformer machine for the first time led to her multi, multi, multi-million dollar businesses in the fitness industry. So what I mean by that is there's been multiple businesses which have been multi-million dollar businesses. This woman's knowledge of business is crazy. How her experience in the hospitality industry became infused in the framework of her studios and all of her businesses. And that comes from her experience of her family being involved in the hospitality uh, industry, but just her mom taking her out and eating in different environments and experiencing how uh, the most lavish restaurant can either make or break based on service and the most basic restaurants can become superstar restaurants because of the quality of service. The importance of outsourcing and now this here for me is a bit of, it's a bit of a um, very exciting moment to be able to sit back and listen again in what we spoke about because Lisa actually asked me in 2020 to come on board with her studio grow team and create a training around how to hire a virtual assistant so from the woman who outsources better than anyone i know to give me the credit of saying can you please create a training video that teaches our clients in studio grow how to outsource and hire a virtual their first virtual assistant and then from that video, be asked again to create a second and follow-on video of how to train that person up, what the next steps are once you have hired them, is just such a sense of her confidence in my confidence in, in order to be able to create that is makes me feel wonderful. The importance of knowing the numbers, but not the importance of why, it's, um, why you shouldn't obsess over them knowing the numbers in other areas of your life outside of finances, for example, health. So we talk about the importance of not just knowing the numbers in finances, but knowing the numbers in, for example, your blood pressure or other areas of your life, not just including health. The, pro, the power of discipline, the lessons learned from Hurricane Katrina, she lives in the south of southeast of the US. What's worth more than anything you can get out of a coach? Why making a lot of money is boring, which is really, that was something that she, that she mentioned to me many years ago. And I sat back and reflected on that for a very long time. And eventually I kind of got an understanding through talking to a lot of people and just marinating on the idea as to what she was talking about. But to come back in this episode and to really ask her specifically and directly about what she means in that and for her to give the exact quote and how the, and the reasoning behind that. Um, and specifically the guy who actually said that to her was such a sort of completion moment for me. And I think you'll get a lot out of that as to why making money and being successful is boring and why most people um, maybe aren't successful in that area. Anyway, that's enough from me. This is the episode prelude. Let's get into it. It's been too long. Uh, Lisa is really, really a wonderful businesswoman and even better person and you're going to love this episode so let's get into it g'day and welcome to the mind your body podcast with jacob andre this is your host jacob and i am with lisi kika today lisi welcome it's such a joy to be here this is awesome before we dive in would you like to introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about yourself 
Sure. And I'm, I will admit that as I'm filming this, I am up tucked in my husband's office, which happens to be freezing. Therefore, if you see me wearing this, I, I, I look like it's the dead of winter. I promise you it is not. Um, uh, my name is Lisey Keeker. Um, I've been um, I've been in fitness for the last um, 20 years, which makes me seem very old. But I started in college, um, and since then I've opened six studios um, across the United States, and founded a company called Studio Grow, which works with health and fitness professionals and studio owners in 34 countries to optimize sales processes, to build their marketing and to ensure their studios are the most profitable ever. So much there to dive into today. But before we do, you said you're all rugged up. So some people may be watching this on YouTube and seeing what we are going on about and some people are gonna be listening. So we'll paint the picture for those that are just listening. Um, but of course you can, can head on over to YouTube and watch the video. Um, what state are you in? So it's interesting. I'm in the state of Virginia. Um, so I, Virginia is just south of, of Washington, D.C., the capital of the U.S. Um, I'm in a city called Charlottesville, which is where the University of Virginia is. So if you're in the U.S. and you follow college basketball, we are technically the two-time reigning champions because we didn't have a championship this year. Uh, but I'm originally from a state called Louisiana. Um, I'm from a place called New Orleans. And it's pretty cold today, is it? Yeah, it's not. It is. It's warm outside. I mean, I feel terrible on this one. This is one where um, his office is frigid, and so I snuck up here because I'm looking for total total quiet as we're filming this, and um, immediately grabbed this giant fur blanket and wrapped it around <laughs> you because I knew I'd be shivering through the podcast otherwise. It, but it's it's lovely. It's the end of summer. It looks like such a typical COVID jacket that you would put on like I'm just gonna snuggle in and just get comfy for the next nine months <laughs> I mean let's let's hope not I've already uh, I've already told everyone it gets quite a bit colder in Virginia than where I'm from originally and I've let everyone know I was like if, if December comes and and they say everyone has to stay inside we're immediately driving south <laughs> going for work <laughs> I, will, I will be in a bathing suit during that time <laughs> How, how are you going? How are you coping with this whole COVID pandemic and, and stuff? We're recording in um, second half of 2020, um, but people may be listening at any time. But how, how have you coped through 2020? You know, it's it's been wild. So for us, um, the pandemic started quite a bit earlier than, than most people I talked to. We, we work very heavily in Asia. And so we started working on this um, in January. And it was, you know, a, a, an all speed ahead really from um, around January 21st onward. And by February, a lot of our clients in, um, in Europe were being immensely affected by this. And of course, by March, um, the United States. But um, it's led to the most, um, I tend to have if anything, a life that is balanced more towards life than work. I've always set it up that way. That's just how I built it. Um, and this is the, the first time in my life where for an extended period, it's had to be flipped. Um, and so I have to say, um, I didn't cope very well early on, mainly mainly from the stress. Um, I have an autoimmune disease. I, I got sick and uh, learned some lessons that I'm always teaching to other people, but didn't necessarily love um, listening to myself. 
And so, um, you know, this is one where we're finally, you know, after about five months, we looked around and we just said, hey, if this really is a bit of the new normal, if this really is a time where, where everything is shifted, we can no longer be in pivot mode. We actually have to be in, in building mode um, for, for long-term plans on this. And it's a nimble building. It's something that we know some pivots will happen in, but it's a different shift. So what does that mean? What does, what does that look like for you, building building mode? Well, building mode to me, when you're building something, especially something that's going to last, it's not a frenetic, you know, frantic, go here, go here, go there. You know, in that you're, you're building something that's gonna topple so quickly. So when I go into building mode, it, it's something where we start by really looking at the long term and saying, okay, you know, even if all hell breaks loose, what are the things in our business we're going to continue doing? How do we build and completely flesh out those programs? You know, we, we're going into a period where we've kind of accepted, hey, um, we're in building mode, we're, we're, we're growing business, we're not adding anything else to it, um, we're not interested in, in, in moving on to anything else, and, and it's now become this slow and steady. Um, it's no reactive. I mean, we've got a plan really for the rest of the year and every week it's chipping away a bit more at that plan rather than, you know, the first six months it was, they just shut us down again and this is what's happening. And, um, you know, my governor released a statement that, um, you know, I, I have an unsafe business um, for your sanity and quite frankly, for the long-term sake of your company. Mm. And so let's go right back. So you mentioned that you have a company called Studio Grow. What exactly does Studio Grow do? Studio Grow, um, it, it, it started um, It started with a very simple, um, a simple premise that we had built studios um, for some time and built very successful studios and recognized that um, many of the things that were being touted as common practices in the industry uh, didn't necessarily lead to a profitable studio. Um, which was what we were looking, <laughs> we were really looking for. I was gonna say, I think it's what everyone's looking for. But but as where this goes, that was the biggest concern. So um, we had we had built studios all across the US. We had built failing studios. We had, um, you know, transformed them and, and ultimately sold them for a, you know, multi-million dollar sale. And so we took everything we knew and, and all of our processes, all of our systems, essentially our playbooks to take studios that were losing you know, 10,000 plus dollars a month and turn them into million dollar studios in nine months. And we, we developed a program for this. Um, uh, the one part being online, one part being you know, heavy duty consulting. Um, and from there, you know, the studio, studio Grow expanded. It's, it's become a large scale consulting firm. Our clients range from, you know, in-home studios to multi-hundred million dollar a year brands. And we focus now, we have a marketing agency that's built within. In addition to that, we also have um, um, where we are now taking over and actually doing all of the sales for studios. So we've built a form of centralized selling and, and quite literally we are your sales team. Um, so it's it's evolved just like just like most businesses do when you recognize you know you have a client and, and 
they need something very different and you're realizing, hey, look, we cannot just coach you. We cannot just teach you how to do this. For some people, that's exactly what they need. For others, they need, they need the execution side and we can provide that as well. Yeah, that's crazy. So you mentioned that you had six studios yourself that you transformed. Tell us a little bit about that. Wow, that, um, it was wild. So um, it's funny, this is not something I ever thought I was gonna do. I, I, um, I thought I was gonna be a college professor and um, uh, I wrote my thesis on an 18th century Orientalist and um, I got accepted and planned to go up for a master's degree. And when I got up there, I made a last minute decision, much to my, my poor father's chagrin, um, to say, hey, I think I'm gonna do something very different. And um, I briefly took my first and only job that I've ever had. And I started a tech company about six months into it. Um, and uh, if you know me, I'm the least techie person alive, but I, I was um, had a lot of friends at an amazing school here in the US called MIT. And um, I was living up in Boston and we did some incredible work. And I, as I was kind of wrapping this up and saying, is this really my long term? I, it had been successful, it had been profitable. I was like 20 years old with plenty of money and it was it was lovely in that sense. I just looked around and said, you know, I, I, I think I wanna do something different. And I, I came, I should say, when I was in Boston, I started practicing yoga for the first time ever. It was, uh, there's an amazing um, studio called the Baptiste Yoga Studio Group and I practiced with under Rolf Gates, I practiced under Baron Baptiste, I practiced under them. They were just out of this sweet little yoga studio about, you know, a 20 minute subway ride from, from Boston. And um, and I came back to Louisiana because I was freezing. Um, <laughs> I'm not a cold weather person. And um, I was continuing to practice yoga and I, I went back and we we're a member of an amazing health club that is not what you would think of of a typical health club. I suppose it's tennis courts and massive pools and every everything you can imagine and when i would walk by to the yoga room i passed by um, a pilates reformer room and i'd actually never seen a reformer before that was my my very first time and i felt like that child in the candy store like i pressed my nose against the glass and watched them and i'm sure these women were horrified but it took about a two weeks for me to get on their schedule and um it was the first time i ever did pilates and I realized that I didn't necessarily know what I was going to do next. Um, it's kind of strange. Like I, I didn't have a plan at that point. I, I had money, um, which was lovely, um, and I was just kind of like at this place of, hey, anything can happen. And so I, I got certified. Um, and literally a month after I got on that reformer, I started a certification. And all of this evolves and evolves and evolves to me meeting my husband, moving to Washington State. That's you know the uh, in the in the the continental U.S. Um, it's it's outside Alaska, the upper northwest corner uh, of there. And uh, I had someone from Intel Corporation. They, they make those lovely little microchips in your computer. Approach me after a class and say, hey we're looking to build a, a program. We're looking to, to bring a company on to, to create a program for our employees. Would you be interested in, in crafting that? And, and so that was our first studio. And um, we 
It was a non-traditional studio. I mean, it was inside of Intel Corporation. Um, we opened our second studio, which was a brick and mortar studio in the very deep south in Mississippi. It's at the, the bottom, <laughs> quite literally, right next to Louisiana. This is very close to my family. Um, my husband had been transferred to um, the, the border of Georgia and South Carolina. And we wound up opening two more studios in South Carolina and then two additional studios in Minnesota where he's from. And so it was, um, I, I'm, I condensed that thing really small. <laughs> but that was over, um, that was over an eight year, uh, nine, 10 year period. That's, that's a 10 year period, uh, bite sized. How do you manage to run all these studios from different parts of the country and spread not just in like the next state, but spread right across the country? Well, so it, it's it's interesting. Um, I think it's because we built them that way. Um, so I, I will tell you that my very first studio, my non-traditional studio, um, I had an incredible team member, and, and this is it's amazing how you you learn a lesson and it stays with you. And and she took that studio over, and that became hers. And and it was it was fantastic. I kind of recognized that that was that was not necessarily gonna be part of our long-term model. So, so that became the very first. But when I opened in, in Mississippi, I, I knew I wasn't going to live next to my studio. I mean, I was living an hour and a half away. I was staying, um, it's like the ultimate entrepreneurial experience. I'd moved back in with my mom. Um, my husband was was going back and forth to the Middle East. And, and I was like, you know, I'm not ready to move to, to Georgia and South Carolina. I'll be here, I'll, I'll open the studio. We had a newborn baby. Um, Remy was three months old when we moved there and um, and we had been building the studio and flying back and forth from Washington State doing it but because I went in with the expectation that I wasn't going to be the face um, I was going to be it was going to be the visionary that was behind the scenes cultivating the experience I was going to train everyone I was going to ensure they were really running it according to what I developed because I thought I had developed some pretty incredible processes and um, I knew how to provide an extraordinary experience at that point um, that yeah it was it was pretty awesome it was pretty awesome so you know once you have that in your mentality like hey I'm I, I'm not going to be the face I'm not going to be in charge of it it forces you because the infrastructure just isn't there and therefore they're the person going absolutely, utterly insane in the back end of this. Yeah. So what is the experience? What, or what is that experience based on, built on? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's funny. So um, I, I mentioned I'm from New Orleans. Um, if you're if you're in the U.S., maybe even if you're outside the U.S., New Orleans is known as um, very unique, culturally different place. Um, we're like a little French enclave um, that's stuck onto the bottom of the U.S. And on both sides of my family, they've been heavily involved in the restaurant business. Um, and so my my father's brother um, owned restaurants in the city, as did you know extended members of his family. My mother's father had been in the restaurant business her entire life. She had literally eaten at one of his restaurants every night and as a child. And um, there was a sense of, of hospitality that was just kind of imprinted onto me, I think, from that. 
Um, you know, my mother always, um, we were always aware and they were always kind of pointing it out. Um, we went to some extraordinary restaurants. We went to complete dives. Uh, you know, I ate on polished wood floors and I ate on sawdust floors. And my parents would always, you know, I think it's just part of what they recognize, you know, share the experience and, you know, how you could have an extraordinary experience while eating catfish that had just been plucked out of the wobble tops. And you could have a terrible experience, you know, at a place where four waiters were surrounding you and they were serving $100 bottles of wine. You know, so much of it came down to, you know, the heart of who was there serving you and this idea of service in itself. So, you know, we started with the fact that, yes, we could provide the greatest classes, we could provide the greatest private sessions, but if we didn't provide a welcoming experience, if we didn't make that person feel like they were just extraordinarily um, a part of our uh, of our hearts, a part of our our business, then then we had done a disservice, and and their experience would never be as good. Um, and so it was everything from the moment that they they called or they sent an email or a you know a, a, a DM to you know the moment that they left, um, and and we really infused that in. We hired people who had amazing backgrounds, um, you know, and and while we had um, flows to our 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 classes, we also hired people who had very diverse backgrounds. I mean, I had physical therapists um, running a PT clinic. We had massage therapists. Um, we had um, cardiovascular rehabilitative specialists. I am none of those things. You know, that's not my background. Yet, because they had this framework of the experience we were providing, they could provide something extraordinary. And so, you know, the private yoga instructors and the Pilates instructors, the personal trainers, which fit my bill, you know, I got to have a little bit more um, of an imprint onto there, but, but we understood that there was a great framework we could place into that. So it sounds like, and this is what I really respect probably the most of what you do is your ability to outsource. You seem to be the outsource queen. Would that be a fair judgment of who you are? Well, yeah, I mean, so let me say this. Um, so you should know my mother has just been an extraordinary influence in my life. I talk about her all the time. I mean, she is just incredible. And as I was growing up, she ran several companies and, and she built her first company when I was six. Um, she opened her sec my second company, her second company when I was probably eight, and her third company when I was nine-ish. And the one thing that my mom was was really aware and spent a lot of time talking about was that she didn't do it alone. Um, you know, she was still our room mom. You know, she was home from school pretty much every day at four o'clock with us. Um, we went on long vacations that she never never picked up her phone and did all of these things. And, and she really did teach me that, you know, hey, if you wanna have a life and you wanna have a business, it means you're not gonna be the only person holding all the balls. 
Like you've got to learn really quickly how to give things off to other people. And so I, I witnessed from the time I was little, I mean, some of it was very basic. Like my mom will tell you she absolutely despises house cleaning and I, I'm, I'm with her on that, I'm terrible. And so, you know, she had a woman who came in three days a week and, and, and cleaned our house um, and did our laundry and, and, you know, did things that enabled her to walk in the door at four o'clock and, and not have to spend the rest of her night working because, you know, there's, there's work at home, there's work in business and, and you, know, you have to have that. Um, and when she planned a dinner party, I used to, it was, you know, it had been a busy week. She would cart over this like huge copper pot to our favorite restaurant and they would pour their soup into it. And she would like cart it back and put it on our stove. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know? uh, everyone would be like, gosh, this is amazing. And she'd be just like, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I think she gave me such a, um, such a peace. And, and I watched, I mean, I, I, every day after school, my school was around the corner from her, her office. And so I would go there and, and we would leave from her office most days. And so I would walk in and, and her offices were filled with, with her team. Um, I, I, something like that, her average team member was with her for 16 years. She actually started her company in her home. So, I mean, these were women that were in our house every day when I was, you know, for the first two years. And, um, and it was incredible that she gave a lot of permission. And I, I, I say that not lightly because I think in many cases, people have to be given permission to say, I can take this, it's okay to take that off your plate. It's okay that you can't do it all. And if you've had an experience where um, your family has been, and I, I, I've seen this quite a bit where your, your parents maybe they've been they, and they did their job in totality. They didn't necessarily outsource that unless they were in management or they had a, they were a CEO and you know, had an assistant or things like that. And so there's this belief that we have to carry that totality of our role with it. Um, when realistically, when you step in, you have to give yourself permission. It's part of growing. Yeah, what do you say to people who say, I didn't have that exposure as a child to that type of to, to both your mum and your dad it sounds like you had great role models um, or the person who says I don't have the extra money to pay for someone to come in and clean or to because I can hear those little things coming up and personally from my own point of view I look at my dad he was the hardest worker I've ever met and he will just head down bum up and I'm exactly the same and when I hear you say oh, I you know I did all these companies across the country because I was able to outsource. I feel so envious of that because um, I just wish I could let things go and be able to do that. So what do you, how do you, is it possible to change? Yes. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think I'm gifted for the fact that it was easier because I saw it, but I don't think my, I mean, my mom to some degree saw it. My dad maybe to a little degree saw it. And I think they're proof that, <laughs> that that you can change just because of that. Um, you know, they were the generation that made the shift. Um, but I, but I think you know, it starts off by by recognizing and and I say this not lightly, but we tell ourselves a lot of lies and a lot of myths. You know, we create our own story in regards to money, in regards to everything. I think money is probably the biggest one we create our own stories around. And, 
You know, so when you tell someone, I can never afford that, I can never do this, you are oftentimes painting a very self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, you know, I started my first companies when I was very young and, um, and I had very successful companies. Then I started companies that I loved but didn't necessarily make nearly as much money with. And, and I outsourced during all of those. In large parts, I ran really tight financials. Um, I knew what I knew what gave me a return on investment, and I, I reckon um, there was a return on investment that freed up my time. So, uh, for example, I mean, our, our joke, I, I did our, our accounting books for like two months. My husband's like, we will be in jail. I'm terrible. <laughs> like, you would never want to give those to me. Um, I was like, I think this goes here. This is pretty good there. And, um, and so that's something that frees up time. I don't do our bookkeeping. I, I've never, I mean, literally, except for those first two months, it's the only time I did it. Um, that housekeeper, where it's it's something that, that does this, that, that gives me back time and it lets me invest in. And then there's roles that you'll hire that are ultimately like revenue producing roles. And, um, you know, that's going to be someone who may run your sales team. Um, that may be someone who is, you know, a trainer, an instructor. There's someone who's client-facing on your team that's providing a service. Um, you know, those are roles that that have to have an ROI. And and in, in saying this, I don't mean it harshly, but you do have to look at each of those roles and say, are you bringing a three times investment? You know, you don't just outsource. And I think this is the this is the thing is that oftentimes people outsource without the numbers to back it. Like they haven't outsourced and said, if I take back these 10 hours of my week, what else can I do? Can I see 10 more clients and you know bring in an extra thousand dollars a week? Well, all of a sudden that, that housekeeper who's a hundred dollars a week just gave you an extra $900 in opportunity. You know, that's where that allows you to see it or vice versa, I'm bringing on this person you know, um, I will pay them $1,000 a week, but I will bring in $3,000 a week from them. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's understanding as part of the much bigger plan what that looks like. And, and knowing and recognizing, you know, each of those placements, you know, as to where that goes. It didn't start out, we didn't start off outsourcing. You know, when I built my very first studio inside of Intel, I, I taught 18 classes a week. You know, that was my my first six months. And I felt like I needed to because I wanted to be like, I wanted to know it backwards and forth. Do it backwards, forwards, downward, dogged up, you know, you <laughs> name it. I, I knew it. And so I waited six months before that very first person came in. And, and so I, I don't mean to say that this is like the snap your fingers and you go. Um, but what I did see is that it was a, a you know rapid fire and, and FYI you're gonna make mistakes you're, you're gonna hire the wrong person um, you know that first six months I taught everything the second six months I hired it all out and paid way too much money and I made no profit and you know man quick quick turnaround decision that was amazing how fast it was like okay I didn't look at the right numbers I thought I understood this um, you know and, and so you make the mistakes and you say, gosh, that's one I won't make again. And, and you know, that lessons, there's, there's truth to that. I, I mean, so understand that when it comes to the outsourcing, you will make mistakes 
it's harder because you have to then turn to someone and say, I don't have a role for you. Um, and that's where I think a lot of people are oftentimes more afraid of that and, and having to say to somebody long-term, this didn't work out. Yeah, I think what you're hitting on here is something that a lot of business people talk about, and that is know your numbers. And that's something that I'm hearing more and more. Um, and the other thing is that you need to hustle a little bit at the beginning. Um, and I think with the know your numbers thing, it's a very much a business concept, but I think that relates just as much to your personal life. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's funny, you know, I was doing something the other day. I, uh, I I thought this was really rather lovely. There's different numbers in our lives. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think the financial numbers of your life are intimately important. And this is something where my husband has been my miracle worker. Um, I grew up in a really successful family. Um, we were really very comfortable, very blessed. Um, my parents, I never once saw them balance a checkbook. Um, they just weren't weren't really that worried. There was there was more than enough. Um, there wasn't a and so um, when I got to college and like three months into my freshman year, they gave me that fancy credit card because you could sign up and get a free T-shirt. And I maxed it out and I was like, how do I pay this? Um, and uh, suddenly I have three jobs to uh, to pay off my credit card because my parents were like, well, you're gonna figure this out. It was a real rude awakening. And um, and I'll admit that financially, I did not have the best habits. Um, I, I would go through these spurts where I, you know, had a, a lot of money and then I would be like, yeah, I'm just not gonna work very much for a while. And then I would spend it and, you know, it could last a year and a half and then it would be, oh, I should do this again. And he's, he's uh, several years older than I am. He's an attorney. Um, he is like the person that when we do our taxes, he's like, I have a $42, you know, tax thing I need to submit in. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, really? Like, I mean, he is so by the numbers. Everything is organized, every investment, all of that. And I was, um, I was horrified and resistant at first, but there has been enormous freedom in knowing the numbers. And I, I have to say, I'm, I'm probably never gonna be obsessed with the personal numbers. Um, and I, I say that because I see some people who are obsessed and, and it's, in, it's unhealthy. Um, I meet a lot of them. At the same time, I'm aware of them. Um, and you know, every month we, we sit down as a family and you know, we have a discussion on this. We're starting to bring my 12 year old into that discussion where it's, you know, I want him to have an exposure that, that maybe I didn't have. Um, you know, I want him to understand what an interest rate is and understand, you know, why we might be looking at buying a rental property versus, you know, doing this. And, um, you know, he's having some experiences to see that. Um, so I think there's the financial numbers, but I think whether it's, I'm talking about your blood pressure and your resting heart rate and, you know, some of those other things, your, your health can be measured in numbers as well. Um, and uh, and so I, I oftentimes find myself charting that as much as I do the financials. That's, That's really interesting. And I want to talk about what you think the impact on finances is are on your health, because you've mentioned you've been talking about finances and then you mentioned unhealthy twice and in relation to that and uh, then you kind of went into wow. talking about the numbers with heart rate and all that kind of thing so how does your finances impact your health 
Oh gosh. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that there's enough studies on this now to know that, you know, what, what's the number one cause of stress? I mean, it, it's financials. And um, I think it's oftentimes comes because someone's put their head in the sand for too long. Um, you know, financials do at periods of your life take discipline. You know, if you want to get to the point financially where you have no concerns, no fears, no worries, um, FYI, you can have those concerns, fears, and worries. I've, I've witnessed it firsthand, you know, um, with plenty of money. Um, but at the same time, if, if you want to get to that point, you know, this really is about, um, this really is about, you know, having an awareness, about having discipline with it, about recognizing when you have a problem, um, you know, I, I was lucky. I think I, I probably, you know, met someone um, who forced that awareness on me at a really good time in my life, because I could have gone in a really bad place um, as to where that was. But, but, um, but I personally, and I think, you know, all we have to do is probably look at COVID right? <laughs> in the last six months for small business owners. Um, you know when you're worried about putting food on the table, when you're worried about paying rent, when you're worried about you know, knowing that that loan is not gonna push you into bankruptcy, you know, that's, that's, that's gonna put stress on your health. Just a lack of sleep alone. I mean, our bodies were meant to, are, are, they're meant for a beautiful cyclical cycle. And you know, I think we were, we were made for the stresses of, you know, am I gonna hunt an animal today? Not am I going to, you know, am I going to survive a pandemic? realistically you know that's the same intense stress of am i in survival mode as i you know i, I have to, literally i'm frantically trying to survive i imagine it's the same instinctual impulses that run through our body it's kind of crazy yeah i actually came across recently a post on instagram by a, a famous and very popular finance guy named ramit sethi who you've probably heard of before and he was saying that it's common for finance advisors to recommend having three months worth of expenses saved up he's now saying through covid that he recommends having 12 months worth of finances saved up and he said before you choke on your coffee at how much that might be he's talking about the basics forget about netflix or cable tv or any other sort of added expense that you don't necessarily need but the minimum expenses you need to keep your family going so paying your rent or your mortgage buying food and all that sort of thing that you should have 12 months worth of expenses saved up now that's quite a bit of money but what i've had to do personally is after going through a relationship breakdown and break up um, i ended up in over twenty thousand dollars debt and that's actually, I've probably come out of that extremely well for most people, but through just simply following a system, and I know you love systems and you talk about systems a lot, I was able to pay off that debt and save money in just eight months. And the power that comes from that is enormous. The stress that was with having that debt is huge. And what stress does to your body in so many ways it's almost like when you go to the doctor this is what the way i see it you go to an, a traditional doctor and you say i've got this symptom this symptom this symptom and they go oh yeah we're going to treat this and it might be anxiety or it might be this ibs or it might be this eczema or whatever it is that it comes up as um and then you you see the doctor and they treat you for that they give you a cream or they give you a tablet or a pill or whatever it might be and then all they're doing is treating that symptom whereas 
what stress is, is there's no test for stress. There's a test for eczema, there's a test for IBS. You can tell whether you've got gastritis or whatever it might be, but you can't test for stress. And so in order to get to stress, you've got to go through every other symptom that's showing up, test them what that is in order to warrant them all out to then say, okay, it is stress, which is what we thought from the beginning. Um, so I reckon the person who makes a test for the symptom of stress is going to make a lot of money. But what I'm getting at is that it comes up in so many ways and it impacts your life in so many ways negatively from having too much chronic stress. And if you can get on top of that through finances, if finance is your stress and we're talking about healthier in relation to finances, then not only do you eliminate all that stress, but you empower yourself like almost nothing else out there. It's incredible the feeling of confidence and freedom and all that stuff that you're talking about that you can get. I mean, it's funny. I My mother became a therapist, and ironically, after she sold her companies. And um, I've jokingly said that I think most people need therapy with money. Even people have pretty healthy views on it. Mm. Um, you know, it, as far as you were saying, it, it's interesting. We've always kept six months for our business and for for us. Um, that's that's the bare minimum. And now that's for us personally, it's increased, um, you know, with what we keep in the bank. But for our business, it's six months. And I attribute a lot of that to Katrina. Um, it was a massive hurricane. It you know went around the world. It, it hit my home. I had a business in New Orleans at the time. My business was shut down for six months. Um, it was um, the worst nightmare. And my mom, I remember turning to me in the midst of this and saying, all right, sweetheart, what's the disaster plan? And I was like, nobody told me I needed a disaster plan. I'm like, I didn't want to say anything, but that really was where I was at is, no one ever said that needed to be part of my plan. And it was from every other business forward. I mean, we always kept, and you know, if, when we were taking out a loan to start a business, um, you know, opening a opening a, a big studio, you know, we had massive amounts of equipment and things like that. It, it cost a few hundred thousand dollars each. We always built into that, you know, a certain number of months of expenses. Um, we knew that that was there. And, and we, we protected that and kept that. You know, we could have been shut down for, for six months at any point with any of our businesses and continued to pay everyone, including ourselves. Um, and that was, if you don't think that takes a weight off, um, it does. I, I promise you, you sleep better at night knowing that. Um, I think you have to be, make sure, and, and I know this is gonna sound like a very strange thing, but I mentioned earlier the myths that you tell yourself. A lot of times, you know, um, I see people who overspend. Um, I've been, I've been you, <laughs> big time. It's like, you know, gosh, you know, what do you do when you're stressed out? I press place order. <laughs> you know, and it's like that's where, that's where you go. That is, that is my, my, my tendency. And so, you know, it's literally rewriting the fact that, like, hey, when I'm stressed, do I really need to go shopping? You know, um, you know, I, I meet other people who financially are very sound. And I've also been this person where I'm like, we're gonna fall apart tomorrow. And then I have to, you know, look back and say, wait a second, we have, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a month coming into our account from other investments, from other things. If this all falls apart, does it really fall apart? 
And so I think you have to make sure that you're also taking the time to have a very clear, very truthful, almost, um, uh, and this sounds unemotional relationship to money. I had someone once tell me that the, the most dangerous relationship we have is, is our, our personal self to ourself that, that deals with our finances. Like it's like the two sets of the psyche. And, um, and I tend to think that that's very true. You have to take an unemotional side to, this is where I'm at right now. You know, this is where I'm going. Um, this is what I really and truly have. And, and this is what I need to do to change it. I love your story because it is remarkable how quickly we can dissolve debt. Um, and it oftentimes having someone, by the way, I, I don't know if you did this, but we've done this with several clients over the years. And the worst was a, a dear friend of ours, someone that we love and adore, and um, she's a major finance background. And she came to us and she was so quiet. She was like, I I, I have $180,000 in debt. Like, I mean, she had massive background. She had every credential behind her name to say, I would be good with money. And, um, and she was so ashamed. And yet it was her saying, I need help. Um, my husband, Dan, you know really well, um, you know, he's somebody who just literally sat down and over the course of like a month, they mapped out a plan. And y'all, by the end of the first year, over half of that was paid. I mean, so it's incredible when we say, I'm gonna deal with this, and I'm gonna walk out the other side, how quickly it happens. Mm. It's crazy just the value of having a coach and that's, obviously what Dan was to her. Um, here in Australia, there's a famous money guy who's known as the Barefoot Investor. Um, and he's very similar to who you have in the US in Dave Ramsey. And uh, so his name's Scott Pape here in Australia, um, the Barefoot Investor and very similar strategies. And it's very simple, like seven step strategies or whatever they were, seven, eight steps, whatever, um, in progressive order, you know, so step one, save a thousand dollars, step two, pay off all debt, step three, and you kind of like domino through your way through. Um, both of those plans are full year long plans. But the other thing that goes with that is kind of like having a coach. So you can have these guys and follow the system and they can sort of be informal coach. But I really think the value of having a hands-on coach with someone who sits down and digs in deep with your personal experiences is invaluable. And yes, it might cost you some money, but what that can do for you is phenomenal. I've had that. Obviously, I'm a client of yours through Studio and Grow. Studio and Grow. Um, I've been through a couple of your different programs, the Client QI Revenue Remedy, and now through your Freedom Intensive Package, coaching with your head coach, Mikan, who's amazing. I get that hands-on, this is exactly what I need you to do this week, Jacob. And that is invaluable. It, it's a hundred percent. I mean, and, and, you know, I, I want to say, you know, it's interesting, like I've had coaches who were just, they were mentors. They were, and I, you know, they, they were the unpaid, you know, every quarter I would go and meet with them and, and I've had them for personal purposes and I, and I've had them for, you know, business purposes. I've, I've, I've done both with them. Um, and then I've had time I spent like $20,000 and I was, I was going to really work with someone and I was like, I mean, I kind of threw up in my mouth. Um, I was horrified that I was investing this much money. And what I got out of that $20,000 was well over a million dollars and um, and a lot of peace of mind because I always had the next step. 
um, you know, it, it was someone who had walked where I walked and um, they were like four steps ahead of me. And therefore they were always like looking and saying, hey, this is, this is where you're gonna be heading. And uh, that peace of mind was probably worth more than, than anything I have ever gotten out of it. Um, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a crazy thing, but it's, it's like being given a crystal ball and, and being told that, you know, you can see into the future and, and, I've, and I've got it. Um, and, and so I don't think, I think coaches are something that people are often very reticent to, to invest in. It seems like, hey, what's what's the flip side? It seems like such a huge, you know, investment as this comes in. And whether you're talking about a coach for your finances, who's going to walk you out of debt, and it's going to cost you a few thousand dollars, but they're going to be by your side, holding your hands, and making sure this happens, and they're going to be your sounding board and your peace of mind. Or whether it's, you know, a, a coach in the form of a trainer who is there pushing your body and and telling you that this is where you're going to move forward and watching as you truly get stronger and truly reach your health goes even like a functional medicine doctor who i view up as very much as as a coach for your long term how are you going to get to 90 and feel amazing or a coach for your business you know they're all they're all one and the same um and, and ultimately i do believe that oftentimes what we invest in um is is what we see results in um, it's a it's a it's a strange conundrum, but um, you know the transformation is in the transaction. Um, it's not just for your clients; it's, it's for you as well. Crazy. I agree completely. I think you need to have a coach in every area that you want to develop in, whether it is finances, business, health, and you, you may not need to do it all at the one time. But whatever it is that you oh. want to focus on for that period. Yeah, I mean it, it's fascinating. I. I think it's it's one of these things that um, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think the more successful you get, the more likely you're going to have more of those people sitting around. I mean, I I have many certifications. Um, I still, over the last decade, have pretty much seen someone privately weekly on my body. Um, you know, I work with a trainer, and you know, it's funny. I see my neighbor oftentimes when I'm there, and she knows this is this is for me. Um, you know, I, 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 I recognize and I, I believe in that investment. I know the value. And so I, I think you start off in the area that's most important um, and you discipline yourself in the other areas. You know, um, I, I will admit that I'm highly disciplined in some things and, and I'm otherwise I've, I've learned that I have to literally have a checklist for my mornings, like take vitamins, drink glass of water with lemon like I, I have to do that I, I I do not naturally have that like yes this is the habit and I'm forming this habit it, it's not my personality I'm, I'm kind of all over you know by nature I, I I dance around to a lot of different things and that makes me happy and so I've me to build discipline embrace that your personality may look different than the person next to you and you have discipline in the areas where you don't have a coach in and you start with one change um you know it, it's funny it's like I mean, we tell we you and I, we would tell our clients this, you know, gosh, don't drink 12 Cokes a week, drink eight. Um, you know, I, I have a very, very low key, low key kind of changes people need to make. And so if, if it's your, your finances, I, I love that first statement, which is you start putting away 1% in savings of everything you make. You know, the next month, make it one and a half percent. The next month, make it 2%. Um, we don't have to change everything radically at once. You know, sometimes it, if you're in a pickle, 
change it radically. <laughs> You're yeah. stuck, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's gonna be like a culling at that point. But, but if you're not, start with the small changes. And that reminds me of something you said to me a while back, and that is that someone told you, I think it was, that success is boring or success can be boring. And of course that's perception, but I think, and I've thought about this for a long time. I went away for, I reckon, the next 12 months trying to figure out what it was you were actually saying and spoke to my own accountability partner about it. And what I think, you mean by this is that it is just a slow gradual process of just small changes well i'll, I'll give you the exact quote it was uh, making a lot of money is boring making a whole lot of money is even more boring and the man who said it to me it's interesting he used to run about 50 companies for um, a major uk group and um, Richard is an ornery, obnoxious, wonderful man who I love, but his statement really was is that you have to focus and drill down. Most entrepreneurs are leaping from one thing to another. You know, they're, oh, I'm gonna start this training program, I'm gonna start this new business, I have a great new idea. And rather than focusing, you know, at the beginning we talked about that planned growth, it's always this leap from here to there and it's our nature you know when you have something that works you focus on it and you make it better and better and it oftentimes makes more and more and more money and at some point you're probably going to look at that and be like this is so boring like i don't want to uh i don't want to focus on this anymore i want on to the next project and yet Oftentimes the most successful people have chosen to really drill down and go very big and very deep on one idea um, rather than the bounce. And so this man had challenged me and, and it was probably the best thing he ever gave me as he said, look, you can do so many other things, but for the next year, all you're gonna do is this one. You're not gonna sell anything else. You're not gonna market anything else. You're not gonna do anything else. That is the only thing you're gonna do. There are moments when I'm like, I wanna do all these other ideas. And then Bethany Ann, who is essentially my my conscience and our team member who is always like, um, you know, she'll look at me and she'll just chuckle and she'll be like, you know, you wanna be profitable? Okay. Set that aside today. That, Crazy. That sounds like such a fantastic way to end this interview I think that is phenomenal um, Lisi I just want to acknowledge you for all of the work that you do and all the lives that you change not just the people who own the businesses but the families of those people as well that you impact it must be just this massive spread throughout the world of people that you have impacted in one way or another so I acknowledge you for that and I thank you for your time today how can people connect with you Oh goodness, um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, that's probably the easiest way. My personal feed, which has nothing to do with my business. Um, we, we renovate and um, invested a lot of houses. So you see a lot of that on there um, is Lisi Keeker at Lisi Keeker. And our business feed is at Studio Grow Co. And you can always head over to our website, www.studiogrow.co. This is something we, our team spends every day chatting, chatting with fitness professionals and so many others, just 
hearing what's happening in the world. And, um, and so we're interested in hearing what's happening in your neck of the woods. That's awesome. But before I let you go, we finish off with a 10 and 10, which I've given you a little bit of a background on. So as you've been talking, I've been writing notes and I've written down nine things that I'm going to read out. And I want your first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Number 10 is one that I ask everybody. You may um, have heard of it before, you may not. But that's a common one. So the rest, all I want, you can go as long as you want, or you can just give me one word, however much you want to give me, okay? Okay. All right, so number one, work-life balance. Essential, not even. If anything, veer towards life. Like this is what we're here for, we get one shot, man. That's awesome. Number two, transforming studios. I feel like right now it's my life work, has been for the last five years. It's, it's um, you know, I, I suppose when I hear that, I hear my purpose. It's a beautiful, sweet little call. Number three, imagine that crossroads back as you were at university and you were going to become a college professor. What does life look like now in 2020? Oh, I actually don't think it probably looks terribly different. Um, although I, I still spend a lot of my a lot of my days with my nose, my, my nose in a book. <laughs> I quite like that. It's, the academic in me has delightedly moved forward, but I, I still imagine that one day I may go and do that. You know, just because you, I don't think we have to leave our passions behind. It's, it's beautiful. I think they come along with us. Number four, how is your dad now with your decisions in life thus far? <laughs> Extremely proud and shocked. <laughs> it's, a great, it's, a, it's a great feeling. That actually is. It's come up quite a bit. <laughs> I told you so is one of my favorite statements. <laughs> um, number five, winter versus summer. Oh, honey. I mean, like, did you have to, did you just see, the, like, the fake animal draped around me? I mean... <laughs> I knew I didn't although, have to ask. Although, I have to tell you, I'm a diehard snow skier, so I will snow ski through anything, and Dan thinks it's hilarious. Like, I would spend two months skiing every year gleefully. But if you just ask me to like live in the cold, I think it's the most horrible thing I've ever experienced. So what was the best mountain you've ever been to for skiing? Oh gosh, so um, I grew up, um, I personally love Durango. It's it's not necessarily a well-known mountain here in the States. I spent a lot of time in Park City and Deer Valley, which is, is great. A lot of time in Mammoth, Lake Tahoe. Um, and then the whole like, um, outside of Denver, there's like an entire interstate filled with slopes um, that I love. But I spent a great deal of time at Durango. It's still kind of my favorite. There's ski slopes called Purgatory and it's it's a slope and I'll be really happy there. Have you ever heard of a place called Grand Targhee? No, is that by you? No, it's in Idaho. So it's at the, it, and in the oh. background you've got the Grand Tetons. No. So um, yeah, Grand Targhee. So it's right on the border of Idaho and Montana. Definitely okay. check that out. Apparently it is the, I don't want to give this away, it's a little secret because um, everyone will go there, but apparently it is the best powder that you can get in the US, the continental US. It really surprised me. It's funny, so we're, we're, we're due to go to Big Sky, which is in um, Montana this year. Well, next year. So I actually think that's really close. I think that's right. Yeah, that would be, that would have to be pretty doggone close. I think that might be a bit further north, yeah. All right, number six, the Houstonian. You remember this. <laughs> um, you know, um, they were the, when I was building my studio and I realized I, I didn't have it right, um, I 
I was reading about a place in Houston that my dad happened to have a, a great relationship with um, called the Houstonian and they were an old school health club with like a 98% retention rate. They had the highest retention rate of any place in the US. And um, I looked around at everything everyone was saying and I called and I said, can I just like pick your brain for 20 minutes? And someone was really kind. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't introduce myself as having any connection. I didn't introduce myself as anything. I literally was like, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes. And I, you know, visited there um, got to see some of the things that they were doing when I popped into Houston to see family. Um, really um, was very transformative and pivotal in in me seeing um, what a very different experience, one that's rarely provided um, in the fitness industry, can look like. Yeah, I definitely didn't forget that place when I Googled it. I was amazed. I would love to go there one day. You're very lucky. You and I are going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven. The best lessons from the restaurant industry in relation to the fitness industry? Pricing. Um, beyond beyond the obvious of the experience and all of those things, I mean, I, I've, I've, chat, I've chatted on that, but the second best is pricing. You know, it's funny. Um, I have many, many, many friends now who are in restaurants. It's, it's, it's super common um, where I'm from and, and that they've gone onward. And um, I learned more from pricing consultants from my dad, who's also very specialized in pricing, but also pricing consultants in the restaurant industry than probably anywhere else. Um, you know, there, it's something bring specialists to help you price every every single dish on the menu, and you know the cost of every dish, and you know what you want people to order based on profit margins. And um, you know, as someone who likes to eat, I never thought that much about it. I mean, massive amounts of what I needed to do to, to look at each single thing that I sold in my business. Number eight, the positives of natural disasters, in particular Katrina and COVID. You know, it's funny. Um, in Katrina, I did things I never thought I would do. And I watched my family do things I never thought they'd do. My mom lived without running water and electricity for three months. Um, um, I mean, really delight. Um, my grandparents who have since passed away, but who were like my heart and soul, um, they lived with me for five months along with my brother um, who had just started his freshman year of college. And the sweet little girl my brother had dated since she was 13 because her home had been washed away. She stayed there. Um, I had a shower that was open to anyone because my water happened to be filtered because um, I was right by the emergency disaster relief and there was one of the few water that was safe. Um, I learned community from that. By the way, I think that's the hardest thing with COVID is that with Katrina, we were all in it together. Like we did crazy things. Stuff that like my, my husband looks back and he's like, I just didn't think that could ever, he, he's been in many war zones and um, you know, countries that are, are, are true disaster zones. And he just said, I never pictured that, you know, I never pictured that I could drive up from your mother's house and see that. But I think that's the one thing that COVID took unity for us. It gave us the richest family community that I've ever experienced. I mean, we have been, you know, together as a family and treasured it. No two ways around it. Number nine, interior design. I love it. You know, it's funny. So um, you'd have to know, like, um, my mother is an artist. My father's um, 
grandfather was a, a, a significant, you know, a significant, he was a, a more prominent artist um, in our area. Um, I grew up in a family just filled with artists and um, my mother, you know, they were just by part of a factory that was being torn down in Chicago. And then my mother, my mother, while she was pregnant with me, paved like all of our, our sidewalks and built old Chicago brick. And um, they just had a very different approach to our home. You know, we, we, every year we would stain our brick floors with, with, um, with root beer and beer and mixtures and, and then beeswax into them. And I watched them, you know, build things and refinish, uh, refinish different things. I, I went to preschool with some of my, my parents' dearest friends. Um, the Coglins owned a, a preschool in town and it was half a preschool, half an antique store, which is like the most bizarre combination. I recognize that's not normal. <laughs> And so I would literally, you know, finish preschool and, and, um, and it was magical. They had all these little cottages filled with antiques and they had their refinishing places. And my dad was, was very into refinishing. My mom had been flipping houses since before I was born and, and was flipping commercial properties afterwards. So I grew up, you know, knee deep in, in making things really beautiful and you know, going to sites of old houses that were being torn down and, and pulling out the doors from them and and then reframing all the doors in our house to put the to put the old doors in them. Like that was just part of my life. I, I didn't um, I didn't view it any differently. And so um, I'm in like the worst room for this. Like there's there's a knife on the wall behind me. This is not my decor. <laughs> so I'm gonna say this like really cleanly. I am in like the man cave of my home that I have nothing to do with the decor in. But on the rest of it, you know, I I think you have to have your hobbies. You know, I, I, I'm an artist. I love design. Um, we've we bought um, and renovated a number of houses. We have a lot of, um, at this point, we're building our rental properties. And um, it's like a total passion. So, you know, if you open my my cabinets downstairs, like fabric samples will be falling out of them and and stuff. Um, it, it's, it's a thing that I, I think sometimes we, um, we forget that we're multifaceted. Um, you know, it's why I love when I sit down with friends and they're, they're, they're playing the cello or they're playing the piano and we're talking about poetry and, and we can talk about that as much as we can Pilates. Um, I think it's just, you know, a part of, of recognizing that you as an individual, you're not, you're not flat, you're so multidimensional and, and it's okay to embrace and, and enjoy and, and, and develop all of those different things and, and who knows what those will bring, whether it's just something that's purely for your heart and purely for joy or if it's something that, you know, at one point you, you do. I've watched your Instagram page transition from fitness into this home design stuff. I have to ask, are these photos all your house? No, no. I mean, I, I, I treated, it's funny because I, I didn't post on Instagram or, or credit down below if it's not, because I'm like, but I, I treated it kind of as like a, my version of a, a, of a mood board. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. you know, it's it's it, it's like my live Pinterest, um, my live Pinterest feed, um, except in a way that it's more cultivated, and it's it's things that I'm thinking about and things that I am looking about, and, and quite literally, since I don't have a, a literal mood board sitting there, it's it's the things that would be on it, 
um, you know, and it's the the conversations and the thoughts that I'm that I'm having. But um, a lot of it's also, you know, as I'm writing, it's it's the story. So we bought this. Um, I don't I don't know if I should call it a money pit because it's not. It's going to be profitable in the end. But we we bought a home that was um, that was just. It had been on the market for four years in a place where most things sold in two days. Um, it had great bones. Um, it had a lot of um, uh, flaws in it. Um, from from my perspective, it was, it was still lovely, but it was it was some knew the owners and we bought it at an excellent price at a fraction of the cost of, of what it, it should have been at because of all of those things. And so we spent the last two years renovating it. And, and actually, so our, our videographer is a great friend of ours, and it started this, said, let's film this. And I said, oh, okay, we'll film it. What, <laughs> if anything, we're gonna go back and we're gonna laugh. And, and, you know, I'll be grateful for it, whether nothing ever happens to that, because, you know, my dad came up and lived with us for six weeks. He comes back, we worked in his workshop when I was a kid. You know, my husband has gone from, you know, someone who really had little exposure to renovations to someone who's, you know, it remarkably handy. My kids are all involved in it. Um, and, you know, it's been knocking down walls and, you know, building things and, and making making some mistakes. But we've been lucky because we, we have completely renovated and built out not only our own residences, but, you know, quite a few, quite a few commercial locations with our studios. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at pick and tile and, and I'm somewhat good at actually putting it down at this point because you 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 become the person when when you're when you're doing all of this you 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 wind up becoming multifaceted um, in ways you didn't intend I'm, I'm excellent at uh, staining concrete floors I'm probably one of the best people you will meet I could own a business doing that because I, I got so good at it but it's um, it's funny as you see it um, how this becomes something that you know can be your can be your passion so a lot of it's stuff that if i'm finding it it's because it's a specific part of the house that we're working on right now um last night we were um uh, or rodney who's an amazing amazing man that works with us was here laying carpet in my son's room if i took you downstairs you'd be horrified it's um there's like a huge 140 year old armoire <laughs> that's laying on its side in the landing below me because his room is still empty but it's um it's the story of that side of our life and um once we had our fitness our fitness instagram page established it was one where i thought gosh we're doing it's nice to be able to do both i'm glad to hear the clarification on what this is that it's not all the one house because when i first saw the the first picture i was i sort of thought oh cool lisa's doing her dining room that's amazing what she's done oh now she's done her another room in the house and now she's in the bedroom and i was thinking how big is this house this is huge there must be a hundred rooms in this house so it's good to know that buckingham palace <laughs> i mean I, I didn't want to tell anyone but but you know the queen's okay she's she's in the other wing but um <laughs> No, I, 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 I no, it, it's it's not quite that crazy, but it is, um, it it is a home that is, um, it is bigger, and um, it's bigger than we needed, which has been an interesting experience. Um, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't recommend somebody do this um, project like this unless you'd had some experience, because it's it's been one that, that towing the line of, of budget has been 
little tougher. We're 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 we're, we're within our overage budget, which is, is always a good feeling. But um, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it's wild. Hopefully, one day we'll get to show it to everybody. Yeah, well, I'm glad we got to spend a bit of time on this one. It was question nine, and I'm glad we got to talk about it because it's obviously your direction. It's where you're heading now, and I reckon we're going to see you on a home reno show one day very soon. So I'm excited that we got to speak to you before it all, before you become famous as a home design renovation <laughs> TV celebrity. Oh, Dan is horrified right now. <laughs> he's like, he's like oh, I don't think so. No, no, it's good. It's been really fun. All right, number 10. So this is the one that I ask everyone. This is one that I'm really intrigued with. If you could go back in time or forward in time, which would you go and why and to what time? All right, so I think I've already said, um, if you couldn't tell, I love history. I love the past. Um, this is actually a conversation we have around our is, is that it, it does change. Um, you know, so I, I think that there's, I'll tell you my last two places I would like to be. Um, the first is I'd like to be in, in Istanbul around 1715. Um, I, uh, at that point, it was, you know, just in a remarkable spot. Um, it was a place where a lot of freedoms for many women were established. It was kind of the birthplace of actually English feminism started by a woman who traveled there. Um, you know, it was a place where art and culture were, were just intersecting, and um, and it was it was it was magical. And I would love to see that. Um, and then the second place is that uh, I'm like a Jane Austen nut. Uh, I have been since I was a, a child. So there, there's always this dream of of landing in like England, circa 1805 at Pembroke, and um, you know, walking that walk and, and seeing where that is. So. So I think you could take me back to, to both of those places. Um, but yeah, if, whenever someone asks me what my superpower is, if I could have one, I'd love to time travel. Yeah. I, I don't desire to go forward. I, I like the surprise of that. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm delighted by the possibilities of, of moving forward. But, um, and I don't want to erase that. I don't, I don't want to know. Um, but going backwards and, and peering in, that totally excites me. Well, Lacey, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Just as Fiona says hi, I hear my, my dog is saying hello to us outside. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you for being a guest on the Mindswood podcast. This has been an awesome interview. I've enjoyed chatting with you and hopefully we can do it again one day soon. Yes, please. I love it. Thank you all so much for having me.